as Jared and I talked through our summer series, uh, we were wrestling and conversing about a confined group of teachings that we could all interact with that we may not have spent much time in. So we decided that for the next six weeks, we as a church are going to cover the 12 minor prophets. And this is how we are going to do that. You are going to hear six sermons on the various minor prophets. And you are going to receive six devotions midweek in an email. And those are written by myself, by some of the guys who get to stand in my stead and preach sometimes, by some of our missionary partners uh, here locally and globally, by one of our elders and his wife. We are looking forward to seeing what Scripture says to us about these very unique books. Uh, When I was in seminary, I I had some classes that I really liked, some classes that I didn't like, and some classes that I just don't forget. Uh, They stayed with me. And, And one of my professors, probably my favorite professor in the entirety of my seminary uh, event would jokingly refer to the New Testament as the appendix of the Bible. He was my Old Testament professor and he would say, this is what brings a culmination to everything that you see in the Old Testament. And I grew to love the minor prophets as I sat and listened to him uh, teach them. He would also say this, if you are going to preach the book of Amos, you need to make sure to have your office packed when you do. So it's not packed. I do have two Rubbermaid totes in there. And if we need to get rid of something, you guys just let me know. So I want you to open your Bibles to Amos chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 16. And I'm going to take us through verse 27. And we'll work through why this passage matters and is beneficial and helpful for us as New Testament Christians. And see what God has to say. Amos chapter 5 verse 16. Therefore, the Lord, the God of armies, the Lord says, There will be wailing in all the public squares. They will cry out in anguish in all the streets. The farmer will be called on to mourn, and the professional mourners to wail. They will be wailing in all the vineyards. For I will pass among you. The Lord has spoken. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be like a man who flees from a lion only to have a bear confront him. He goes home and rests his hand against the snake bite him. Won't the day of the Lord be darkness rather than light, even gloom without any brightness in it? I hate. I despise your religious feasts. I can't stand your assemblies. I can't stand the stench of your your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for them, for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice flow like a water and righteousness 
like an unfailing stream, house of Israel, was it sacrifices and grain offerings that you presented to me during the 40 days in the wilderness? But you've taken up Sakuth, your king, and Taiwan, your star god, images you have made for yourselves. So I will send you into exile beyond Damascus. The Lord, the God of, God of armies, is his name. He has spoken. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Whenever we begin to deal with the prophets, we kind of have to set things in a time. We are right before the people of Israel are sent into exile. You see the language that takes us in that direction as you come to a, the conclusion of the piece that I have just finished reading. You have a man named Amos who has been called to the people of Israel to speak on behalf of the Lord. Now, if you have any experience with prophecy whatsoever in the Old Testament, uh, maybe, maybe you've seen it presented in uh, one of two ways. More than likely, the way that you have seen and that I've seen prophecy presented on television, in media, on certain channels, is the type of prophecy where someone says... This is what we should look to. It's a vision. It's the idea of what is coming. That's about 20 to 25% of Old Testament prophecy. More often than not, which is 75 to 80% of Old Testament prophecy, is not this is a vision of what is to come. It is more this is the word of the Lord for the situation of my people. And this is what I would have my people to hear from me. So when you read through Amos, we have to figure out, who is this Amos? Is he simply a famous man who makes cookies? What is it that Amos does that is going to benefit us as hearers? His name means carrier, as in he carries the message of God. He it has uh, dual occupations. He is a shepherd, and he is also a fig, not pig, farmer. A fig farmer. What up, Newton? He had, uh, he had a hustle, he has a side hustle, and God gives him a burden. He is a shepherd. He is a fig farmer, which is, in my head, this is a side job that is the equivalent of him selling thief spray. And boom, 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 boom. And as he explains to us in this text, he's going to address a certain group of people. There's a consistent phrase that runs through the entirety of the book, especially in the first seven chapters. It's, you have committed three sins, even four, even though there are more than three or four sins committed. It's this Jewish idiom, and the, and the idiom is one that says, Look, when I look at you, you've just done a whole, whole lot of sinning, so let's address that. Amos chapter 1, verse 2, gives us a visual, uh, an image for us to take hold of where the Lord speaks. And he says this, the Lord roars from Zion, Jerusalem. God roars from there, and he makes his voice heard from Jerusalem. The pasture of the shepherds mourn and the summit of Carmel withers. This is him using this symbolic language to say God is about to speak and it is to be heard everywhere the ears can hear. It's written in three pieces. You have sermons, you have poems, you have visions. And in Amos, God is about to come after everybody. Everybody. There are messages to the nations, the world as a whole. Why would God give a message to the nations? Because God has embedded a moral law on the entirety of the world that the world should hear and respond to. 
There is a message for other people as well. The general message to the nation. Here is what you are guilty of. When the God of the Bible looks at you, here's what he sees. I see cruelty, I see slave trade, I see treachery, I see that you hold grudges against one another, that you murder, that you're greedy, and that you defile corpses, which sounds horrific. These are all spinning around. When you look at the the nations listed in those first few chapters, it's a circle surrounding Judah and Israel. He says to Judah... This is your primary sin. You have rejected me. Which is equivalent. That when God looks at sin and atrocity, regardless of who it's coming from, there's this equivalency there that we can easily overlook because we like to... Compare ourselves to one another. I don't do the things that she does. I definitely don't say the things that he says. I would never go the places they go or watch what they watch or listen to what they listen to. You've rejected me, Yahweh says. God has created a bullseye. He's dealt with Judah. And Israel is overhearing this. Because at the center of the bullseye is the nation there. So, so there's this thing that happens with Israel. Jeroboam II separates the two pieces. You've got Judah, you, you've got Israel, and they're kind of the same thing, but kind of not. And it's really hard to understand, even as a pastor. I, I don't. But it's, there's a distinction made, and you have Amos who lives in the southern kingdom. And God has told him to get up off of his shepherd's fig farm and to go to the northern kingdom and to talk to a king named Jeroboam. God's sending him to deal with these people. Israel and Judah don't get along. And because they don't get along, there's tension between the two. And the idea that God would use Amos to confront Judah would please the heart of Israel. It would please the heart of Israel that God would confront the whole of the world. It's almost like this. How many of you in this room have siblings? Anyone ever had a sibling? And if you have siblings, you have been in a moment where you have watched as... Or maybe you are functioning as a parent where you are disciplining one sibling. Have any of you ever had to discipline your children? Just so I know we're all together here. Children, if you ever received said discipline? Anybody? So imagine that mom or dad comes into a house full of multiple siblings and they begin to offer direction and discipline to the various children. And there is one child who is finding great joy and great glee in the fact that the the children are being disciplined. This just a hypothetical, or have you seen it happen in your homes? Have you felt it? Have you been the person who celebrates? <laughs> the nation of Israel looks as God deals with the nations, as God deals with Judah, and then God turns his attention on one. You're the child celebrating that your brothers and sisters are being disciplined, and then mom or dad turns to you and says, And you. We felt that. Maybe just over at 205. God turns his attention to the nation of Israel. And when he turns his attention to the nation of Israel, they are shocked. Because they believe that God cares for them differently, which he says, than the rest of the world. 
They believe that God has delivered them from threat after threat after threat. And they don't believe that God is going to stop doing that. Because Jeroboam II, otherwise known as Deuce, he has won lots and lots of battles. He has allowed the work. But in winning those battles, he's accumulated these other places. And he has allowed and almost merged in the worship of other gods. This leads to apathy among his people. It's the weirdest thing how apathetic we may become when we allow other things to sit in the place of God. It leads to complete and utter neglect of the poor in their midst. So God blesses the people. They take for granted His blessing. They absorb and amalgamate foreign gods. And they ignore those who are hurting in their midst. The nation of Israel, when God confronts them... He says, you've oppressed the poor. You've ignored the afflicted. You exploit people for pleasure. You worship false gods. You forget that I rescued you. The wealthy in your midst, you really ignore the poor. You sell them into slavery, and when they need to be legally represented, you don't let them have that. There's no lament in the people of God for the situation at hand. They are supposed to bless because the people of God are supposed to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Yet they are cursing it. They had a calling and responsibility to speak on behalf of the marginalized, the hurting, and the oppressed. And they are ignoring that. They are missing that the world that they are in the midst of is broken and in need of hope. And rather than calling people to to this hope in Yahweh Himself, they are gleefully celebrating the idea that people are far from Him. They mock them. They look at those who are outside of the faith and they celebrate their discomfort and that God would even discipline them. The idea of power and wealth in the Old Testament are a really weird thing because they're understood to be evidence of God's blessing and it's just the opposite. In chapter 2, God uses this imagery to talk to the nation of Israel because after all, this is about Israel. He says, I'm going to crush you with your wagon full of grain. All that I've blessed you with, I'm going to undo you with it. Your archers, which are the best archers in the world, in your opinion, they're not going to help you. You've allowed idol worship for the gods of Canaan. What are you doing? You've rejected me. You've forgotten me. You've ignored me. Because there are those among you who are hurting. And they just don't matter to you. Therefore, the Lord, the guard of our armies, says, There will be wailing in the public squares. You will cry out in anguish in the streets. The farmer will be called on to mourn. The professional mourners to wail. You have two vocations there. One, which would just be distant from hurting and pain. 
The farmer is just doing farmer things. Whatever farmer things are. Danny, you can tell me later. And he's being called upon to mourn in the midst. The professional mourners, you're going to really well. Because I'm going to pass among you. The language of Amos is intentional when God says he's going to pass among his people. The ESV that many of you guys have, shout out predestination, says, I will pass, not among, I will pass through you. Now we are having a conversation about the sins of the people and God says that he is going to pass through them. God, He doesn't pass through the sins of His people. He's supposed to pass over those. God says, I'm going to visit my people. But I'm going to visit you with an army. I'm coming in. I'm going to pass through. I'm not going to pass over. Tozer says this, I am thankful that justice is in the hands of God, which is a really great thing until you think, wait, justice is in the hands of God. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. That's all they wanted. That's how they've overcome threat after threat after threat after threat after threat. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is an idea that runs through the totality of the Old Testament. You see the day of the Lord because the people are sinful and they're far from God. We can go all the way back to Genesis with Adam, Eve, and a fruit. We're not sure what kind it was. We call it an apple, but it was a fruit. We have the accuser who meets them there, Satan himself in their midst, who divides the people from God. And and he divides them, and because of this division, there is death that comes in. And death begins to be the greatest enemy for God's people. You take that and run it to Babel. The idea of the people trying to ascend to God, that is still this distinction, this darkness that's there. You eventually will see the way that this accusation manifests in the human form is to the people of Egypt expressing power over the nations, over the nation of Israel, making them to be slaves. And we see the phrase, the day of the Lord, come to its fullness for the Jewish person, for the Jewish here, when God delivers them from Egyptian captivity. The day of the Lord where God met his people and Pharaoh got whooshed away. You've been wanting the day of the Lord, Amos says. But when he shows up, I need you to know what's coming with him. He's coming with judgment. Because your hearts are far from him. 
Up to this point in Amos, God has said to His people very distinct, important things. He has met them in their refusal to acknowledge His gentle nudgings. And by gentle, I mean things like nudging through drought, nudging through famine, nudging through locusts, nudging through mildew, nudging through disease, nudging through through death. Wait, we have a story where people are wanting the day of the Lord where He is... Trying to get their attention with drought, famine, locust, mildew, disease, and death. They've still not turned around. What is happening? Israel has taken the place of Egypt. As the counterpoint to God's just, righteous neighbor love. People who had been mistreated were now the ones who were mistreating. People who had needed God to meet them in their darkest day are now the people who are being met because of the darkness of their hearts. What's this day of the Lord going to look like? Well, here's what we get. 20. Won't the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? I don't want darkness. I want light. Unless I'm in Alaska and it's 9.30 p.m. Even gloom without any brightness to it. I hate. I didn't know God hated things. I despise your feast. I can't stand the stench of your assemblies. They're going about the business of worshiping as if it's just the business of worshiping. So you're going to come to me with your burnt offerings and I'm not going to take them. Your grain offerings, I I don't want them. I won't accept them. I, I don't have any regard for them. Keep your fat cows. I don't need your stuff. Don't sing your dumb songs. I won't listen to your harps. But let justice. That's what I want. I want it to flow like water. I don't know if I've ever had the discomfort of experiencing a drought in my own life. In Israel, you get lots of that. When I was able to visit, one of the conversations that I heard was, they said, the songs rain, rain, go away. We'll never sing that. We always want rain. We long for rain. I mean, we know here where we live... It's always wet. If you walk outside right now, you will be soggy wet. So what if the language that he uses here for us as people who live in 104 degrees with 99.9,000% humidity? That's, that's a rounding. What if he said... Let justice be a cool breeze that never, ever goes away. Let righteousness be the eternal removal of mosquitoes. 
Let every step that you take be pleasurable. Let every place that you go declare that you have met with the solemn God of the Bible. Those words righteousness or injustice, they, they run through the Bible. And, and I'll be honest, there are some words in the year of our Lord 2022 that we almost can't say. So much of the Old Testament talks about oppression, but the moment that word gets uttered from a pulpit, people blow. God talking about meeting the needs of people who were, who were hurting here? Wait, that, that's the social justice stuff. At what point did God stop caring about people? Never. God cares for the hurting. He cares for the vulnerable. He cares for those who are far from Him. And He cares that the heart of His people look like Him in the way that we respond to those things. Justice. Actions taken to correct injustice and create righteousness. We will labor. We will work. We will desire to see the message of Jesus made known to the ends of the earth. We're supposed to work. Make disciples of all nations. Simply because we rest in the Lord does not mean that we get to become lethargic before, the, before we see Him in fullness. Resting in the Lord is not laziness. Would we care about the things that God seems to care about? Actions taken to create justice and create righteousness. passage functions and there's a hinge that's there where it meets together like this. As you can tell, I'm also an engineer. <laughs> 18 through 23 is God addressing the fact that his people have become what they hated and abhorred. The meeting place is verse 24 where he says, let justice be here, let it flow like water, righteous like an unfailing stream. It's missing in my people. And then you see him hinge back. House of Israel, was it sacrifices and grain offerings that you presented to me during the 40 years in the wilderness? You've taken up Sukkoth, your king, and Kewan, your, your star god. Images you made for yourselves. There's an emphasis on that presented to me. God is still addressing the fact that his people, even in the wilderness, when he was providing for them daily, not to the point of them being rich and privileged in the way that Jeroboam II and his nation that he led were rich and privileged, but he cared for them each day, and they were still intertwining the worship of other gods. I don't know what, the, what it looks like for us to acknowledge that there are moments where we sow in the worship of other gods into our worship of Yahweh. That we have made gods of things that are not and we have called it the worship of Yahweh when it is not. I will send you into exile beyond Damascus. God says, this is, I'm done with this. I'm going to send you out. That accuser that we talked about earlier is so problematic in the Bible. Wickedness and evil and vile. And he always makes himself known through these nations. And just right here, it seems like he's making himself known through Israel. So God is going to bring his people yet to another place where they can turn to him and, and repent. 
They're going to go into captivity to Rome and, and that Satan is going to use the nation of Rome to oppress his people, to punish his people, to mistreat his people, to cause them to be far from him. And in the middle of that, God is going to send what justice and righteousness really look like. He's going to send the one because his people, the nation of Israel, has been, it, it was intended somehow for them to be light in the darkness, but they have become dark, dark, darkness in the darkness. So I'm going to send in your midst, Israel, not a place, but Israel, but a person, the true vine, the hope of the world. I will put him in the middle of you. And he's going to do something so that people from all across the world can trust in me. Those who are far, who have sinned through the things that we see as God addresses his people in these early portions of Amos chapter 5, they can trust in me. Those who are claiming to know me, who have rejected me, they can turn to Jesus. Those of us who sit in this room can be people who turn to Jesus. When Jesus will say, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summarizes the undoing of everything the people have been doing. Is what Jesus says there in this great summary from Deuteronomy that has been a steady for the nation of Israel, a through line of the Old Testament. Is that something that when God says it, that you're doing? Or are we allowing little gods to become big gods? Because little gods, they're not really, there's no way for them to be little gods. They're always going to be big gods because they don't really belong where we're giving them place. And are we expressing that through neighbor love? To love the Lord our God with our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment and the great commandment that goes right along with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The love of God and the love of man for God's sake. He has called His people to that. To be burdened by what seems to burden God. Would we be that? The Lord, the God of armies, is His name. He has spoken. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, would we see today where what we find in Israel can be found in us? Would you invade the darkness of our hearts? And cause us to see needs in the way that you see them, Lord, with those who are hurting, hear the message of hope and grace and love and action from this body who calls ourselves Grace Bible, who 
are your people. So Lord, would we not be misappropriating worship to foreign gods? And would our hearts align with you, Jesus? Loving who you love, caring for who you care for, and calling men and women to turn from their sin and turn to you, and and leveraging what you've blessed us with to see your name made known to the ends of the earth. If there are any here who are far from you and are in their own sin, that we could list off in the way that you list off the sins of those who are outside of relationship with you. Lord, I pray that they would see that you call them to nearness, that you love them, you died for them. That you, you were covered in blood for them. So that we could be right with you. And let those of us who are your people function in response to that. Squelching little gods who try to creep into our hearts and lives. And seeking after you. We ask this in your name, Jesus.